There's a card in the bulletin. Looks like this. Not like that. Looks like this. If you're looking at that, wrong side. Here it is. It's important because here's what I'm going to do in the next uh, few minutes. How many of you know what time it is? I mean, real time. You know what time it is? Anybody know what time it is? I can tell you it's 1130 straight up right now. How do you know? Because there's a clock that reminds me of that every second. So here's the card. Six evangelism styles, which one seemed to be best to represent you? I'm going to give you those six. You might want to write them down. I encourage you to write them down. Then the second, how do you plan to use your evangelism style? In the six, I'm going to give you, and you might say, well, I've got a couple of those. Write those down. And then here's the most intriguing part. The last happened to be about eight lines down there. It says, write the names of individuals down that you know that, hey, they're within my reach. They're within my influence that I can really begin to pray for and drill down on to come to Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you a little yard talk. This message is one that's the main thing. Because the church in the church culture today, we do not do this very well. Matter of fact, we don't do a good job at all. That's why you have thousands of churches closing every single year is because the church has become, hey, comfort me, meet my need, but we're not reaching out, I mean personally, and touching people, people that God ordained that we touch. Now, if you take a look at the card, I'm going to go through the Scripture and give you those styles, and I'm really just going to ask you, one, keep your heart and your mind open. The Word of God will impact you in a positive way. I'm going to ask you to believe and ask this question, God, what is it that you need to do in me? What is it about my personality, so to speak, my will to do? What is it you need to do in me? And see what God tells you. So here we go, Acts 2, verse 36. I'm going to read it kind of slow there as we move through it because I want you to get the points. Therefore, let how many Israel? All. How many of you know the definition of all? All. Do you believe like I believe from Eagle Lake, Florida, that all means everybody? You got it? Say everybody. Everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. That's you. We got that? Everybody good? Y'all good in the balcony? You're my best supporters up there. I love all of you <laughs> immensely. All Israel. I'm going to give you something. Here we go. Be assured of this. Okay, I, I would say, ding, 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 ding. The bell is ringing. Be assured of this. This will come to pass. So God has made this Jesus you got to understand who's doing the preaching here. Y'all know that it's Ananias, right? I mean, thank you so much, a great man of God. It's Peter doing the preaching, all right? So you got to put yourself in the Peter. Here you go. It's Jesus whom you crucified. It's after the fact now. This is an Acts. The crucifixion took place. The Jews were as loud as anyone else in the Roman government. Crucify him, crucify him. Individuals that had, had dinner with uh, Jesus, individuals that had followed him, heard his teachings. All of a sudden, it's crucify him. So Peter said, hey, I'm going to tell you guys the straight up truth. All of Israel needs to know 
that this Jesus whom you crucified was both Lord and Christ. Lord and Christ. Ruler, Lord. Ruler, Christ, Redeemer. Ruler, Redeemer. Lord, Ruler. Redeemer, Christ. And when the people heard this, knowing what they had done, when they heard this, they were cut to the what? Heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, let's read that part, what? Brothers, what shall we do? If you knew you'd been caught red-handed, someone's calling you out on it and saying, this is what you did. I'm telling you, he was Lord and Redeemer. He was, in fact, the Son of God, and you were a part of his crucifixion. What are you going to do if you've got any half sense at all? You're going to say, well, what do I do now? How can I rectify this? How can I get, how can I get forgiveness for this? How can I go beyond that? Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Right? Pray, confess for the forgiveness of your sins. Why? He says, get this now, water baptism's coming up. Repent. What is water baptism? Water baptism signifies to everybody, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Water baptism was important to Jesus. Water baptism was important to John the Baptist. And right here, he says, you repent. God, I'm so sorry. And he said, and be baptized. Now, do you need to get baptized to go to heaven? No, but why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you say? Why? Because you know what? Water baptism deals with a person's pride. It just hits that pride part on the nose. You're looking at man, I got baptized five times. Five times. I want to be sure I was covered. <laughs> so what else did he say? He says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise for you and your children and for all that are far off. That's into this generation. The promise is here today for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, Peter was preachy. He warned them. And he what? Pleaded with them. Warned and pleaded. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 added to their number that day. Those that accepted the message. We harp on the fact that 3,000 came into the church. But I can, can I tell you, may I tell you that more people did not receive it than those that did. Why? They didn't believe the message. It wasn't for them. They couldn't get their head wrapped around it. Listen carefully. You will never wrap your head around an act of faith. You will never wrap your head around an act of faith. Never. You can Facebook that. Why? Because faith is of the supernatural. Faith comes from God. It is born of God. Now, how many of you have a good imagination? May I see your hand? <laughs> 
All right, there you go. How many have a, you just don't have a good imagination. May I see your hand? Ah, God bless you. All right, I'm going to give you several images here, okay, to help us all. Y'all stay with me, okay? How many glad you came to church? This is my second time. You see, God must have known me really well. He knew I needed two every Sunday morning. <laughs> Just, wow. So let me give you an imagination. You, use your imagination. When I say the word librarian, what, what does that librarian look like? Hello? You, you got an imagination? All right, you done with that? All right, how about a sumo wrestler? You got a sumo? You got your imagination? <laughs> how many are glad the librarian did not look like the sumo wrestler? Okay? All right, let me give you another one. How about, uh, how about a kindergarten teacher? You got that? Or, or let me say, how about a police officer? Hello? One of our security came to my office this morning when I got here, and he had that blue handle gun. I said, is that a taser? He said, yes, sir. I'm the only one on the team that is certified to have a taser. I said, does it hurt? He said, I had to be tased twice when I was in the army. I said, is that right? He said, yeah, one in the front and then one in the back. I said, did it hurt? He said, pastor, the worst pain I ever felt in my life. The worst pain I ever felt in my life is when I was tased. I almost told him, can I borrow it? <laughs> I only want it for just a couple. Here we go now. So, so, all right, here's one. All right, okay. Evangelist. Co-fewered here. <laughs> Smile all the time. Big old Bible. Snorts fire. Breathes out. You better get right with Jesus. <laughs> Kneel down now in the aisle and get right with the Lord. <laughs> you might say, well, hey, if that's, that's what I got to be to win people, forget it. I'm just not an evangelist. I can't do that. That's not my game. Well, let me tell you, there is a place in the church, what the Bible said, for prophets, it's only water. Water in the carpet here. We do that regularly. If an evangelist has to be that evangelist, not, not me. But there is. The Bible said he gave teachers and gave pastors and he gave evangelists and prophets. That's what the Bible said. So there, there is that place. But I'm going to talk to you something about something this morning that is the main thing, as I said earlier, that we need to capture. We know, of course, that, that individuals are going to do one of two things when they die. One, they're either going to heaven or they're going to hell. Everybody got that? Heaven or hell? Not going to rest in purgatory. They're going to heaven and they're going or they're going to hell. How does that make you feel about some people that you know? Let me tell you one of the great lies of the enemy, and that's to lie, to say to culture in which we live today, you're a good person. You're a good person. You do right most of the time. And if you're a good person, uh, guess what? You're going to heaven. Here's another lie 
If you're a good person, you look at somebody in the church that might go to church and say, I'm as good as they are because I tell you what, the way they live, and they're a professing Christian, I'm as good as they are. Both are lies. The reality is, you know people. How do you know a person that really has become redeemed and born again? here's, Here's what the Bible says. Here's the test. They bear fruit. They bear fruit. You don't have to judge them. They bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, contentment, patience. They do the practice of what God called us to do. So how do you know? How do you look now if you believe that and you say, here's people that I know, that I love, that I trust. And listen, friend, don't take the easy road. If we take the easy road, road of just say, okay, just non-complacent. There are people that you know that's going to miss heaven because you did not do what God called you to do. So listen carefully. I'm going to pray. Some people say, okay, pastor, I got it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to serve. I'm going to fellowship. I'm going to be in a small group with this personal evangelism stuff. That's not, that's not me. Yes, it is you. God has given an opportunity and given a style that will help you. And here's what I know, that God created each of us like we are. God created you just like you are, and he wanted you to improve upon it. And when he gave the Great Commission, he didn't single out a few that have this DNA or that personality. He said, listen, here's the deal. The Great Commission is going to all the world and preach the gospel. We say, well, we support missionaries. We send them out. We support missions here. We support all kind of ministries, and that's it. No, God's speaking and saying, listen, I'm talking not to a program. I'm talking to you. And we know that one day judgment is going to come. One man prophesied. He called it a prophecy. You ought to stone him now because he said yesterday that judgment was going to come and God was going to appear. That was yesterday. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. If you understand and grasp that, you know there is a day that is coming. And tonight I'm going to deal with the subject that says his return can't be long. And I'll talk about that tonight. There's only a tiny fraction of people that are won because of an evangelist. And we know that there's a variety of people in our society. There's intelligent. There are those not so intelligent. There are individuals that are, that are rural. There are those that are urban, all types of likes and dislikes, all types of races and nationalities. But every person deserves a right to have the gospel message shared with them. And we are called to reach lost people. Here are the six. You got your card? Here we go. Acts 2, the apostle Peter is using what is called the confrontational style of evangelism. He's speaking to a large crowd there in the city of Jerusalem. He's been redeemed, buddy. In Acts, the second chapter, verse 14, he says, listen up, people. Here's what you did. And in Acts 36, you took God's Son, Jesus Christ, you crucified Him. That's what you did, and I'm not going to let any of you off the hook. I witnessed it because I saw it for myself, what you did in the the crucifixion. That's confrontational. That's straight up. You see, if you're going to be confrontational, one, be sure you have the anointing, and two, be sure you know the people that you're going to be confrontational to. I'm not suggesting you go up and pick a person off the street and say, wait a minute, I'm going to give you the word of God right now. Yea, I say unto thee, you need to get right with Jesus Christ. Don't you do that. 
But sometimes you have to be confrontational. As a result, it said 3,000 people gave their heart to the Lord, and they were added to the church. Peter got up there under the anointing, and it said, you guys deserve a dump truck load of this style of evangelism. And they knew it. The Spirit was there. Here's another. It's the Apostle Paul in Acts 17. He's relating to a different group. This is the group that uh, are philosophers. They're the most intelligent individuals known in that day. They're from the city of Athens. Paul says, I'm going to take the intellectual approach, not the confrontational approach. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to rightly divide the Word of God to them. I'm going to do an exegesis on Scripture, and I'm going to be able to share it in an intellectual way to these philosophers in a way that they understand. You might say, okay, I can check off the confrontational. I can now check off the intellectual approach. That's not the way it is. Here it is, story of the blind man in John 9. He'd been blind from earth, or birth, and he was healed. And people come asking him, how did you get healed? He said, how could he have given me sight were he not from God? I once was blind, but now I see. So Paul said, I want to deal with those intellectually sit down at the table and make it mean sense. That's how Chuck Colson a prison fellowship international. He's now home to be with the Lord. He was the hatchet man for the Nixon administration. But someone in his own home talked to him in an intellectual way about Jesus Christ. Chuck did nothing after that brief conversation until he went out and got in his car and driving away down the road And all of a sudden, the spirit of weeping fell on him, and he could not figure it out. Pulled over to the side of the road, and like the Apostle Paul's experience, cried out, God, I'm sorry. His transformation was so real that when he was arrested, when he was arrested, and asked what his plea was, his law firm said, not guilty. He says, that's wrong. I am guilty. Why? Jesus came in and he said, no longer am I going to play it the way of the legal system. And from there, that was the moment God used him. This blind man, it's called the testimonial approach. We have the confrontational approach. We have the intellectual approach. And now number three, we have the testimonial approach. I was once blind, but now I see. And here's what's important for us to remember. What's God done for you? What wonderful thing or things has God done for you that you've hidden and kept quiet? What prayer has God answered? Who have you told? How have you shared it? That's why testimony and your witness is extremely important. Someone said the other day, I'm not giving a testimony because, buddy, I know when you give a testimony, the devil will come after you and just wreck your life. You want to wreck his world? Stand on your testimony and say, by the grace of God, I will not be quiet about what Jesus Christ has done for me. I will tell the world, dead devil, give me the best you have. I will not bow. Somebody come on and say, amen testimonial approach. God's done something for you, ready to tell the story as the Holy Spirit opens the door. 
In Mark 5, there was a man filled with demons, and Jesus cast the demons out. You know what his desire was? His desire was, hey, I, I, I'm going to go wherever you go. I want to go to every city you visit, every town. I want to be a part of your team. I want to tell everybody that I can what you did for me. You cast those devils that haunted me my whole life. You know what Jesus told him? No. We don't have enough room on the bus for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your family, your community, and your friends, and I want you to tell them what happened to you. I want you to start in your own Jerusalem. I want you to tell them, uh, don't have to worry about being bashful. I know I've been redeemed and delivered. Go back to your people and your community and tell them what happened. Here's a fourth one. It's relational. Relational. I mentioned that a few minutes ago. It's relating to those that you live and work with. Individuals that's easy for you to overlook. Family members that, my friend, you, you, you're afraid to really have a set down conversation. Do you know why? You know they think they're right because they're good and do anything for you when in reality you don't see any fruit you see no desire to come to church. You see no desire to do biblical devotions. You see no desire to pray. You see no desire that says, hey, I want to share with someone else what Jesus did for me. If you don't see the fruit, wake up. The rapture is going to come. Amen. It's true. You're so judgmental this morning. I'm telling you straight out from the book. Here it is. It's relating those that you live and you work with that you know on a consistent basis. He said, you be the salt. Salt as seasoning. How many use salt? Let me see, Ann. How many use salt? How many use no salt? I mean, like no salt, the imitation stuff. No salt. That's what I use. No salt, the imitation stuff. How many use real butter? May I see your hand? How many use the imitation butter? That's what I use. Look what it's done for me. For those of you online, the congregation is laughing, and you and I don't know why. <laughs> so here it is. It's the relational time. You see, there was a woman in John 4 that um, she was at the well. Jesus was there. He spoke to her, and when he spoke, wisdom poured out of him and conviction she knew on her heart, she's serving, she's servicing, she's getting water, she's doing all the things that she should do. But when Jesus took the time to talk to her, do you know what she did? In John 4, 28, it says she left her water pots, which is not what you do, at the well, and she ran back to the city. And she ran back to the city to tell everybody she knew and invited them out to the well. Come with me and see and hear. See and hear what this man has said. That's the relational, but it is also the invitational style. Invitational. That's number five. You see, we in the Christian community are good talkers. We, uh, 
we're not so well prepared. We don't even know what Romans Road is. Far too many do not. You can Google it, and I encourage you to. Most of the time, on Romans Road somewhere in the index in your Bible. Some are not confrontational. Some are not going to debate. Well, what about this? Come to church with me. Fifteen months ago, an individual started coming to church here. that went to church to check it off the list, but not on a regular basis. It's a very, very wealthy individual that could probably write a check and buy our whole campus and never did his finances. But God really got a hold of his heart. And in that 15 months, often I look to where he sits, and he'll have four or five, six people that are related to him that come to church with him. He tells them, you got to go to that church. you got to come hear that preacher. you got to come experience the worship. And I mean, he hasn't gone to a discipleship class he was raised in a church by his grandmother that took him as a kid. All the discipleship, nobody told him that. You know what it is? God did something for him that he says, now I want. You know what he said to me after the service, the first service? Pastor, I've wasted the majority of my life. He's past 65 I've wasted the majority of my life not living the way that I now know to live for Jesus. Not telling people close to me that I have absolute influence over. And I said to him, but today is a new day. Amen. Don't live in regrets. Take the advantage of what you have now and what you know. And make it happen. He said to me, don't worry. I'm going to do it. You see, the reality is there's so many different styles that are there. But this one is, okay, is invite a friend. Come go to church. The lady went, said, come out to the well where I saw him. Then there was another lady in Acts the ninth chapter. Her name was Dorcas. You remember her? Anybody named Dorcas? May I recommend it to you? Live boldly. Dorcas. She had an enormous impact. She had nothing. She was older. She had no, she did not have a vivacious personality. She was not a confronter, not a type A. But here's what she knew. I know how to sew. I know how to make garments. I can do it zip, zip, zip. She had a Singer sewing machine. And she decided I can make garments for poor people. And the Bible says she began to make those garments for the poor. 
And before you know it, she had influence. And before you knew it, she got to the place that when she shared a garment, guess what she did? She shared Jesus. Just want you to know I was able to do this because the Lord influenced my life, convicted me, and I want to give this to you as a love gift. They would look around and see her and realize she didn't have anything to give away except her talent and her ability. And as a result, it opened the door for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, how do we manage as a church, go into all the world and preach the gospel? How do we just sidestep that? How do we overlook that? First things first. The main thing has to be the main thing. And we talk about that. But we need to talk more about it. We know that the Dream Center is a place where we know that we have a program, that we reach people. We've given food away, clothing away, blankets away, uh, and counsel away, and all of those things. Mow grass, do all of that. Pick up limbs and in lawns and stuff. All of it with one thing in mind, and that's to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But listen, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. My friend, my friend was not to a program. A program is a means, but he said it for each of us. How shall the Lord be glorified? Here's what he says. By this my Father is glorified that you bear fruit. Not while we're worshiping. That's wonderful. But bear fruit, that's how Jesus is glorified. Yes, I understand. I, I admit, you're speaking to me. Yes, I know at least eight individuals on the bottom of that card, of their names that I need to put out. I need to be bold. I, I need to ask you, God, give me favor. But here's what you have to be. It will not get done unless you are intentional. Be intentional. I have to do this. You see, the lie from the enemy says that individuals are ripe or individuals are ready, but unless you've confessed Jesus, it's not. And then followed through with your life. The Christian experience is to bear fruit. Peter said, mine's confrontational. Paul said, mine's intellectual. Dorcas said, mine is serving. The lady at the well said, hey, come out and see. Look what Jesus says. Look what he does for me. So there is at least one style in there that is important. Peter was the confrontational. Remember, he walked on the water. He also cut Malchus' ear off in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? Chuck Colson, I mentioned him a moment ago. He gave a talk in the Harvard Business School, and it was a bit confrontational. This is what he said. Students, here's the deal. If you think this world can operate for very much longer on these principles, he was speaking about secular humanism. If you think the world can func function much longer on this theory, principle of secular humanism, that's proven over time, do not work, you are wrong. He said, if you believe in secular humanism, you're believing a lie. People are believing a lie. What is secular humanism? Here it is, that humanity is capable of its own morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God. Well, how do you think we're doing? Do you think the core of our conscience, the core of our principle, the core of who we are as a nation is better today than it was 10 years ago? Not according to every report that you read. 
We're farther away from the focus of Jehovah God than we have ever been. But isn't it true why the flood, if the people had stayed in tune and on track after the fall of man, there would have never had to be a flood. There would have never been times in which the Israelites served under the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire. That would not have happened. Why did it happen? Because every single time when they thought they've got a corner on it, they lost. And it's true for you. You and I must have Jesus Christ functioning in our life. Secular humanism does not work. It will blind people that will go to hell by the millions. Unless someone says, here's the truth. Well, what makes you think this is the truth? Because he said so. He said, I am the truth. I am the life. And he died and he rose again, and he is coming back. Amen. Amen. Let's clap. Would you stand? I was blind, but now I see. Those of you who raised your hands earlier, God bless you. Look this way, everyone, please. Just look this way. I'm appealing to you as best I know how. I'd like to, you to ask, if you take a look at those styles, if you say, where, tell me what I'm most comfortable with. But can I tell you something? Get to the place in your spiritual maturity that you're not always asking for the place you're most comfortable in. Sooner or later, get to the place to say, God, I want to get to a place that I'm not comfortable I want to get out there. I want to walk on water. I want that to happen. I get nervous every time I come out on this platform. I fail speech in the 11th grade. My mother has a report card to prove it. There are people who really aren't depending on you. They're co-workers. They're family members. I'm not saying to nag them. But then let me say this to you. It's kind of hard to talk to your co-workers about Jesus when you use the same foul language they use. It's hard to witness to your people that work with you when they see you do underhanded deals. It's kind of hard for people to accept your testimony when you rant and rave on Facebook. And then the next post, you're talking about how good God is. I'm just telling y'all. Hard to do that. Enough is enough after a while. The Bible said we're to be a light in the midst of darkness. It said we're to be the salt of the earth. So you can get several things corrected in you today. By saying, Jesus, I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. If you got that foul language, get rid of it. You're smarter than that. It's wrong. It's not good. Got a filthy mouth? Get rid of it. No place. But live the kind of life that when people look at you and then you share what God has done, 
And when they walk by your casket and hear the preacher talk about you, the ones who really know you wonder, who in the world is that in the casket? So let's do what we know we should do. Amen? So let's now bow our heads. Jesus, in the name of the Lord, we ask you for your divine influence. We ask you for your conviction. And we desire to make a commitment. And that commitment is we're going to be better tweaking our lives a little bit by the help of the Spirit to try to be that kind of person that we really are taking an opportunity to pray for somebody when they might be having a problem or going through a test or a trial and we hear something happening and we don't even pray. We don't take time to pray and impact them. I pray in the name of Jesus you would minister to those needs. I pray that you would forgive us for not doing as it relates to personal evangelism like we should. Everyone in this room, you have called us to do it. Not just a few, but all of us, you said. Every last one of us. We have to do that. And God, not to destroy, not to harm, not to judge, but just share the love of Jesus. I pray in your name you would help us with that. And we'll give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I had a family. I had a family that I dealt with, built relationship with over the years. And the spouse got sick, sick unto death, that were Bible illiterate. You'd be surprised how many people are, don't know anything about the Bible. So I kept working and working, kept encouraging to come to church. They started coming once in a while. Every time I saw them, I made my way to them, hugged their neck, let them know, glad to see you. Made them feel like a superstar to the best of my ability. Finally, one of them got sick. She did unto death. Cancer eating up her body. Hospice was there. Preacher, you know the condition. Can you come over here? Sure, I'm coming. Hour and a half later, I showed up at their home. Lavish home, beautiful home. Gated community. I went in, and they were in a chair. I knelt down on my knees, right at her lap. He was here, and I said, you know what, guys? I've loved you a lot of years now. But I said, now it's really time for you to let you know just how much I love you. Because I've never taken a moment until now, and this is a God moment, to ask you if you'd like to pray a sinner's prayer. What's that? Your heart's not right with Jesus. But let me tell you, Romans 10, 9, let me share with you what the Bible says. By this time, tears streaming down their cheeks into the lap. Do you want a prayer? We sure do. We sure do. We prayed that prayer. They wept. 
And I did that funeral. Can you imagine how I felt? And say, Jesus, I look down in that casket. But I'm saying to you, Lord, what the devil thought was his. For many, many, many years, he lost in the end. He lost in the end because somebody was willing to say, let me pray with you. Isn't that great? I've had some I've confronted. I have confronted, I've built relationships with. I've confronted them and say, listen to me. You call me every time you're in trouble. This time, now I'm going to tell you something. Part of your problem, your problem is you need to get your heart right with Jesus. You dance around the altar. Once in a while, you're praising God like you love Jesus. and He's the best thing since sliced bread. And then you run around and you're jumping on this and jumping on that and doing drugs and everything else. I said, that's got to stop. It's time you gave your life to Jesus. You're going to do it right now. Yes, sir. And I've said, and when you do, I'm going to chase you down. If I see you out of line, I'm coming after you. You see, all right, I don't do that often, but there are those seasons that you do. Because, hey, I don't, I don't want to see. If somebody's going somebody's to grab your baby and run away with your baby, would you not get in the way? You're not taking my baby. How much would you give that person not to take your baby? Would you swing at them? Well, the Bible says, you know, to turn the other cheek. Let me just tell you, I know what the Bible says. Hallelujah. I go do that and then pow, just like that. <laughs> You're not taking my baby. But then why would we let people that are blind slip into eternity without Jesus? Amen. If you need prayer, James 5.14 says, sick, come here. You, you raised your hand earlier. You want to come down here? We're going to wait on you. You know why? Because God wants an obedient church. And whatever you need, God's about to do it for you. We're going to sing one song, give you the benediction. You're going to be out of here. All right? Some of you left earlier. Your body's just still here. All right? Come on. Need prayer. Come on.